This is Sarah. And I'm Trish. And this is our podcast called Trying to Win. We are uh, law firm owners in Charlotte, North Carolina, and we are trial lawyers. Uh, Together, Sarah and I have been practicing law for quite some time. And this is Trying to Win, our podcast talking about being lawyers, uh, being business owners, and the business. And today, we're going to be talking specifically about lawyers who are interested in doing trial work also known in some circles as litigation, and helping younger lawyers prepare for taking on a position with a litigation firm. And to do that, we have two great guests with us, Gwen Lewis and Ashley Bartolucci, who are both lawyers at Lincoln Durr. Welcome, ladies. Hi. Hi. Go team. (laughs) Ashley has been in practice for about 10 years, and Gwen has been in practice for about eight. Am I right about that? Since 2013. So you okay. can't do math? You can't, you can't do the math? First of all. That's why I went to law school. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, they both at Lincoln Durr do a variety of different types of um, trial work, some medical malpractice defense litigation, some employment litigation. Um, Ashley brings with her a history of doing some criminal work when she was down in Florida. So everybody here has a good wide breadth of experience in trying cases in different settings, venues, and different tribunals. So we're really excited to talk to them today about their interest in doing litigation and helping young lawyers get to where they are now. Absolutely. So um, I guess to start out, uh, Gwen, what is your favorite thing about me? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. kidding. She's not kidding. Uh, No. The the first question was supposed to be something different. I'm sorry. I just couldn't, couldn't resist. So I guess the first question would be, why would you want to be a trial lawyer in the first place? Well, the answer personally is that I think I looked at my own personal strengths and skill sets and what I enjoyed doing and in what settings I enjoyed doing it in and it landed in the trial space. So I think that for me, why I wanted to be a litigator was more so me trying to identify a practice area, a career path that aligned with myself as an individual and my strengths. So I think that as everyone and anyone picks their path, it should certainly align with things that you're good at. And that oh, you so enjoy. you're saying that you're good? Yes. I think you are. <laughs> <laughs> you are. You're awesome. <laughs> Thank you. What about you, Ashley? What was your, what, what was your path? So it's kind of interesting. I um, didn't necessarily know that I wanted to be a trial lawyer, but if you look through my past, it kind of makes sense that this is where I ended up. So um, I danced growing up. So my mom to this day tells me that me being a trial lawyer is me getting to perform as an adult, right? So it's me getting to have that moment, yeah, it's an art, that art space to um, to do that. But it's interesting when I look back at the classes that I chose to take when I was an undergrad. I took a lot of speech classes. I took a lot of um, I took an acting for non majors class, things like that that I was really interested in that kind of have led me to where I am now. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. You know, it is interesting to me that if you look back kind of at your personality growing up and those sorts of things, litigators do have a tendency to have a particular type or types of personality traits. Um, I would say that I, growing up, love to solve problems, and that's what I'm really good at. But on top of that, I'm not very good at sitting behind a desk. Like, I really love interacting with people. I I was never really a presenter, but I played a lot of sports, so I'm uber competitive. And so all of that combined, I think, made trial work 
very fitting for my personality because we aren't behind a desk all day, every day. We get to do a lot of different things, and it truly is a a very high level form of competition that's not physical. Absolutely, I mean, or at least not most of the time. Go, Gwen. Gwen <laughs> has something to say. Gwen would like to speak. I so just everybody will quiet. add to what Sarah said because I always say this to my kids. You know, when I was in school, I was a competitor, and I felt like it was some of my fondest memories of school is competing, preparing to compete, and it was always team sports. And I think that as adults, there are few career paths that allow you to keep competing. And I think litigation is one of them. I mean, there aren't a lot of other spaces professionally where you can look at the role and there's always a V opportunity, right? Like us versus someone else. And I think it's kind of a, you know, a grown-up way of playing a team sport and having the chance to go up against someone and try to win. And I think it's just fun to keep that going, especially if it's something that you've always enjoyed doing and have a good ability to do. So, Ashley, your turn. Um, What do you think makes a successful trial lawyer? Like, what are the qualities that you think really are enhanced or, I don't know, that makes someone really good? So I think you might be a little bit surprised by my answer. Good. That's what we're here for. (laughs) We love surprises. I think... Really, the most important thing is integrity, right? You have to have integrity to the judge that you're in front of, to the jury that you're in front of. They have to believe you. They have to believe everything that you say. And if they believe you, you win. Well, if you tell the truth, then it's the truth. Right. <laughs> it's easier to be believed, you know what I mean? Right. So I think that that's, I think that's the best part of being in there and really believing what you're saying and having that integrity and deciding, you know, what are we going to argue? What does the, what do the facts bring to us and where does that leave us in front of the jury? And I think that's the most compelling thing is when you can, because you believe in what you're saying and you stand up in front of that jury and you can convey it so convincingly because you're telling it with your heart not just with the words that you say. What is so crazy about that is um, Ashley's been working with us literally for like, what, five weeks? Yeah, maybe that. (laughs) (laughs) And so we haven't tried any cases together. We haven't gotten any trials ready together. But one of our very common sayings in the office is, first liar always loses. And it's a mantra that we have lived by, that we were raised on by lawyers who trained us coming up, you know, and and that is just so true. And you can see how a jury, when they realize that something that they have been told was inaccurate or untrue, you can physically see the change in how they respond to that legal team and their witnesses. Um, so absolutely, I think integrity is a huge part of being a successful trial lawyer. Gwen, what do you think? Probably aligns a lot with what Ashley said. I think being a skilled master translator is probably what I would say. And I feel like that encompasses everything. To have the communication skills and the personality to translate whatever the subject matter is in a in a manner that 12 to 14 people can all understand no matter what level of understanding they have. So I think being a master translator, it transcends practice area. It, it allows you to have success in any courtroom. And I think that if you can translate what the case is about to your judge, to your jury, you can be successful. Okay, so Trisha, what do you think, <laughs> <laughs> what do you think makes for a successful litigator? Hmm, I don't know. Well, I will say this. that This is my number one thing I always say. Give a shit. 
actually mm-hmm. care about your clients, care about what you're doing, be passionate about it, that you would be so surprised at the people that don't care, you know, that just kind of go yeah. through the motions and don't and really don't put their heart and soul into it. And I think that kind of goes along with what Ashley's saying, the integrity part of it. You know, if you just, if you really believe, if you're telling the truth, you are telling a correct story, you believe in your client, you believe in their story, then your passion is going to show. And to me, I just, I know Sarah, we've said this before, I've been surprised with the number of people that just don't seem to have that. It's it's kind of rare, actually. It, it Yeah, no, I definitely think that we are a little bit unusual. And and honestly, I think in, in particular, two of our practice areas, employment law and medical malpractice litigation, you see it more often with the lawyers who are engaged in that type of work, I think, than in lawyers who are engaged in say, district court automobile accident work, which isn't as exciting. It's harder to get drawn in. Mm -hmm. The stories are very short. They're not very complicated. So I think the more complex the case is, the more the lawyers are digging in, and it gives Mm -hmm. them the opportunity to really give a shit about Mm -hmm. their client and the case. But it is otherwise an unusual trait to see, I think, among, among a lot of trial lawyers, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So when you guys were um, on the job search and trying to decide, you know, what kind of firm you're looking for, where that fit might be, what kind of things were you considering, Gwen? When I first came out of law school, I had already decided that I wanted to do a practice area that allowed me to interact with people. So when I went into college, you know, well, let me go back, right? Ashley kind of talked about knowing early on the things that kind of added to her choice to be a trial lawyer. I used to write about how I would be a teacher, an actress, or a lawyer. And then, you know, as I learned more, I was like, I'm just not sure teachers make enough. And then I was like, <laughs> okay. And then I was like, so I was on the draw in the drama club. And so I was like, this is fun. And then I was like, well, it's really difficult to become, you know, a successful actress. So then I was like, oh, I guess lawyer is the only, you know, option left. So then I was like, well, I can be a lawyer who teaches and gets to act sometimes. And so I always felt like I was able to fold them into this one opportunity. And so when I went through undergrad, I really had no exposure to lawyers. I mean, I didn't know a lawyer, really. So I felt like, okay, well, what are the lawyers doing in this world? And I thought they were criminal lawyers or family lawyers, right? And I think that's a common perspective from a lot of minority attorneys. Like, it's the lawyers you're exposed to. And so I knew of family and criminal attorneys, and I didn't know of many others. So I was a criminal justice major in undergrad, and I just thought, you know, I was going to be roaming the jail halls. And so I went to law school thinking that's what I'd do. And I, you know, walked through the jailhouse with the lawyer and the men were all howling at me. And I thought, there's no way I can do this. And then I said, (laughs) "Okay, how about family law? Because, again, that was all that I knew and I knew it impacted people. And I observed some family court and I was about to cry with the parents. I thought this can't work, right? I won't be able to effectively represent them. And so I landed in the last space, really deciding that employment law was an area that really impacted people. And so that would be the space that I would always try and be a part of. And so I went automatically into the job search thinking like I'm only willing to participate with a firm that impacts people and so I started on the plaintiff side doing employment law work and civil litigation generally but always representing plaintiffs and really small businesses and so it was fun and you know I got to see some people launch businesses I got to work with people who you know I used to sit through consultations and people giving tissue boxes but it was still so important to me to go into a space that was meaningful in people's lives. And I felt like that's what 
you know, I was destined to do. And so I think my job search has always been about finding a place where I think I can have an impact. And that will always be how I look at my roles. Ashley? So I, um, coming out of law school, I decided I want to be a criminal lawyer after interning at the um, federal court in Tampa, because I noticed that criminal lawyers got to go to trial a whole lot more. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of where I fell. I did a criminal internship at the prosecutor's office. Um, And I feel lucky because the people that I worked with at the prosecutor's office, there were a lot of women lawyers who were strong and competent and loved being in the courtroom. And to be a young lawyer, to be around other women that had the same drive and that I could look to as a young lawyer was so important. Um, and I think as I've gotten older, what I've, I think I've just gravitated towards that more and more. Like I want to be around people that I want to be like, not that I want to follow exactly what they do because everybody has their own way of doing things, but it is inspiring to be around other women who want it as bad as you do who want to work that case and help your client and prepare like nobody else. And it's, you know, that's why we come to work every day. That's why we're excited to come to work. So if you were giving advice to a young lawyer, what would you recommend to them in terms of how to find a litigation firm that would fit for them? Um, I think there's a lot to be gained by just going and kind of walking around the courthouse that you think that you, in the area you want to practice, right? You want to see who is going to be in the courtroom. So when you go and you walk around and find, sit in on some criminal stuff, sit in on some civil cases, see what attorneys come and see who you kind of gravitate towards. Um, When you go to bar meetings, um, go and see who's (laughs) there, who you, who kind of inspires you that you're like, yeah. Those people are doing it right. I feel good when I'm around them. And that's those are the people you want to gravitate towards. Great point. Gwen, what would you recommend? I know you actually worked at a law school for a while, so mm-hmm. you interacted with a lot of law students um, who might be getting into the job search. What, what are your recommendations to young lawyers if you know that litigation is something that they're very interested in? I think it's to your point, make sure that you know litigation is what you're interested in. I think take advantage of whatever opportunities you have in law school to be a part of trial teams or trial advocacy courses and really take advantage of the opportunity to see what it requires to try a case. Because most law schools now, particularly in North Carolina, all have a trial advocacy course that allows you to literally work a case up and try it at the end of that course. I think everyone taking advantage of that allows them to really see what it's like and the responsibility of really standing in front of a judge, even if it's a mock judge, trying to articulate a position. And I think a lot of people enter the workforce thinking they want to do litigation and haven't even taken advantage of those opportunities. So they don't really have a full sense of even what it would take with that type of cushion for the setting, let alone the reality of what it takes. And then I think if you know, for sure, once you come out of law school, or even if you do what Ashley suggested and go and observe and try and find your, you know, get into the atmosphere, I think that you really have to decide what type of litigation you want. I think litigation allows for some moderation. Some litigation is constant. You have no time off. And I think that's more so a criminal setting. But I think there's litigation more like medical malpractice and 
medical malpractice is a better example than labor and employment where it's it's going to be more spaced out just depending on how active of a caseload you have. And then labor and employment is going to be much less, but it's still there. And so you have the opportunity to really have a pretty split practice where you can focus a lot on advice counsel, but have some opportunities for litigation. And I think there are people who probably would benefit from figuring out how much litigation they want in their life, in their month or in their year, because it is stressful and it can wear on you. And I think you really want to balance out what does my lifestyle allow? So I think that it's important to think about how frequently you really want to be in a trial setting and find yourself dealing with, you know, that much pressure um, throughout the month or throughout your year. And I think once someone is able to kind of get clarity on that, it helps them pinpoint what practice areas align with that frequency. And once they do that, I think they're able to really then the next question is what kind of culture do you want to do it in? And I think that's where you decide, do you want to be in a really large firm, a mid-sized firm or a small firm or do your own thing and create the culture you want? And so I think it's really important to kind of walk through those steps one by one to be sure that what you end up with is exactly what, you know, is the setting where you can actually prosper. So you both ended up in what we remarkably now call a mid-sized firm at Lincoln Turf. We are now technically, <laughs> are we technically, technically are speaking, we, so we are awesome. over 10 lawyers and anything over 10 lawyers in North Carolina, at least is considered mid-sized, which is very difficult for me to wrap my head around. Cause I still, still consider us so to small. be a little it small, really but small still in any event, y'all ended up at a small to mid-sized firm rather than a big firm. What about the, just the size differential should younger lawyers be thinking about, um, in terms of selecting where to go and interview if they're interested in doing litigation. Translation, what's your favorite thing about us? <laughs> <laughs> um, I th- you know, from my perspective, I think that what a, a young lawyer should start thinking about is what type of environment they need to be successful. If they are someone who came straight from, let's say, college, has never had professional working experience, and they think that they need a heightened level of, let's just say, hand-holding or support or, you know, guidance, I think that you have to be certain that you're entering a place where all of that is there and sort of structured. I think for people who have had professional experience, those are people who actually, at times, could find a ton of success even in a solo firm. So they're kind of you know, every option could be a perfect option for them because they could either go to a place with a ton of support, a place where they're super autonomous, large or small. And so I think it's really important to think about what you need to be successful. And the answer to that question is so different for Mm -hmm. everyone. And I really, in working with law students, I always saw that it became more and more clear to them during law school because it was always that, I always like to describe law school as, you know, everyone for the most part is smart. You're, You're around all the smart people, right? So let's figure, we're pushing ourselves to try and really see how far can I go and what do I need personally to be successful. And I think it's a question we all should always ask ourselves, right? Like, what can I do to keep pushing myself and stay successful? And so I think it's really interesting because coming out into the workforce, it's really the same question. Um, What do you need? And I think each firm has something different. So a mid-sized firm, our firm, right? I mean, I think it's amazing to know everyone. It's amazing to have the ability to walk up at any point and ask a question and communicate and have input 
on problems that they're trying to solve. I think it's cool to have the opportunity to explore new practice areas, to have support and things that you're interested in outside of simply the work that you do, but some of the non-billable work, the community involvement, the bar activities that we place value on, and the relationship building that we place value on. So if those are things of interest to someone, I think you find that where you have the ability to talk to the people that manage the firm easily, you have the ability to engage in some of those other things that are meaningful. I think when you're in a much larger pace, you have a little bit more of a barrier with respect to having those conversations and getting that ball rolling on some of those extra things outside of practice that you might have a big interest in. So I think it just matters to figure Oh, you out. are extra. I'm never. <laughs> I learned it from Trisha Dirk. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, that's it. I think that's it. You know, it's what you need. I mean, I think that's how those decisions should be made and don't just go to the highest bidder. I think that um, I think every firm is different, right? Like there's big firms that don't necessarily always feel like they're quite as Agreed. big. And there's, you know, you can be in a big firm, but in, be in a small office of that big firm. And it has a totally different feeling. Mm-hmm. I think what's most important is you really need to look at the people that are going to be in your specific office, whether you're in a big firm or a small firm, you want to make sure that whatever culture they're developing in that specific office is going to be coherent with what you need. Um, so I, I mean, I think that there are some advantages of big firms sometimes, but you know, I, I think that you can get those same advantages in a smaller firm. If you feel that you are wanted and you feel like you have the ability to grow there. Yeah. And I would add, cause we came from a big firm before we started Lincoln Durr. You really have to look at their practice areas to determine if they're actually trying cases. So if your interest in litigation is that you want to get into the courtroom and go to trial, a big law firm probably is not for you unless they are one of the unusual larger law firms that has an active trial practice, which is is relatively unusual. You know, at least where we are in North Carolina, the cases that get tried all the time are criminal cases, medical malpractice cases. The family law lawyers tend to be in courtroom a lot. But beyond that, not very many cases actually go to trial. So if your goal is to stand up in front of a jury box full of 12 people, you probably need to be looking at a midsize or smaller law firm in order to accomplish that goal. Why is everybody looking at me? You've been the one asking <laughs> Well, okay, okay, okay. Um, so the interview process, I guess, is what the next thing, the hiring process we we're supposed to talk about. And I, I can ask that question to myself. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> But she no, wants someone to ask her. Please, I, hint, hint. I do. I do like. Trisha. Stop. <laughs> I do like the. Um, I do like the way that we do the hiring process um, at our firm. I really do. And so basically, what we've done traditionally is that we bring somebody in, and then maybe like two or three lawyers will interview that person. Ashley was a rock star, by the way. Came through with flying <laughs> colors. Totally. Gwen did not, but. Um, and, <laughs> But anyway, so we do we do you like the, the problem. We do the first we do the first round and like three lawyers will interview that person and then if if they all three agree this person should move forward then we do another three so we do a second interview. Um, and we really try to make sure that through the interview process that the candidate meets everybody in the office. And I mean, that that's everybody in the office. All the people that work there are the most exposure we can possibly get. And I, I, we do that for really two reasons. One is Culture is so critically important. 
and one unhappy person or one duo that doesn't get along or doesn't click the right way can really create an environment or a recipe for disaster, actually. It, it can be really bad. And so you know, once we were able to achieve the culture balance in the firm and get everybody on the same page, then we wanted to just maintain that. And so now what we do is when we bring somebody in, they got to meet everybody, and then we have a meeting afterwards. And everybody, everybody who has met that person offers comments, insight, perspective. And honestly, if one person just doesn't have the right feeling for somebody, we don't bring them on. And usually that person is Gwen because she doesn't like anybody. But <laughs> um, but, but that said, that said, um, barring the, the 85,000 people we brought in that Gwen turned down, um, usually, I'm just kidding, I'm kidding. Honestly, the very few people pass the the whole process. And, you know, it does make the hiring process a little bit more time consuming for us. But it also offers inclusion. It offers investment for the other team members. So if they've voted or they've, you know, they want somebody to come on, then then they're more likely to help promote them and create a um, a successful opportunity for everybody. So that's kind of what we do. I don't know. What, what else can you add to it, Sarah? We also um, historically have done personality assessments I forgot on about that. anybody that we're considering offering a position to. So usually we get those the one that you failed. Assess- yes. <laughs> <laughs> I fail every time. Um, I tried to cheat this time, but I know. <laughs> it, still, it still didn't work. And in fact, we have an episode that we did with Karen Lee, who's the consultant yeah. that we use from Narrative, um, who does the Workplace Big Five assessments on everybody who we interview. Now, um, there have been a few times where we've made the mistake of hiring somebody and then done the personality assessment afterwards. We're going back to our old way of doing things, and we will do personality assessments on everybody before making them an offer to hire and get Karen's input as well in terms of how she thinks those different personality traits would gel with the other personality traits that we already have in the office. So we have found that to be historically very helpful and are excited that we have the opportunity to do that and that we know somebody like Karen who's been working with us for a long time. So you, Gwen, you've done a bunch of interviews like on-campus interviews and, and students. What is it about a student or a candidate when you go on campus or you're interviewing a law student? What are the things that stick out in your mind um, that make you attracted to that person as a, as a candidate? I think it's the first impression that they make when they come into the room. It's the confidence that they show as we talk. And then it's certainly their experiences and how they're able to relay those experiences, particularly knowing that they're looking to come to our firm. It's a litigation firm. So really the interview is you show me what, how you present, how do you speak? How are you able to translate something as simple as tell me about this internship experience and someone being able to actually translate that without reading line for line from their own resumes, which some students do. And so I think it's interesting. And I think it's kind of a word of advice. If you're going to apply for a litigation firm and then have the opportunity to talk to those people, you probably shouldn't read directly from the resume when you're talking about (laughs) prior experiences, because, you know, it just comes across a little concerning, right? Mm -hmm. That you can't even from recall of an experience that you've had, detail that experience in an engaging you know, conversational way. And so I think what stands out always for me is that impression, confidence, and I think being memorable. And so Mm -hmm. it's not that you have to be outrageous to be memorable. It's that whether it's because of the quality of the conversation or the content of your background or your ability 
to speak with multiple people with ease. You know, typically when we've done on-site interviews, it's more than one person. And I always pay attention to the people who know how to have eye contact with both people. Shaking hands. And shakes oh hands gosh. well, you know. So it's the impression. It's the full package. Um, and so I think... Um, I just believe in people's ability to sell themselves the best. And so I think giving people a chance to come in front of you and tell you why you should pick them, Mm -hmm. it's their shot, right? So everything beyond the resume, I mean, people can pay people to write their resumes, right? And make it sound golden. It's that (laughs) opportunity to walk into the room and sell yourself that I think stands out the most. And so I think anyone who is looking for an important opportunity and they have an interview, do mock interviews. That was one of the biggest recommendations I used to always make to students when they had a really important job interview coming up that they really wanted was to do a mock interview. Mm -hmm. It has so much value. It takes away some of the nerves. It helps you anticipate the unanticipated question, because you've gone through a mock. So anything that's important, we prepare for it. So I think in the same way that... Is she still talking? When you're chasing your dream, prepare <laughs> for it. I just want everyone to know, this is what a small firm is like. That you can't get out. You know, everyone's too familial. You can't finish your sentence without the other person jumping on top of it. It just depends on the person. Trisha Durr. <laughs> well, okay. Please, on. Trisha Durr. Okay, excuse me. Are you done? Not yet. Okay. I'm kidding. <laughs> well, I will say um, for Ashley, I will say now she's a lateral, so it's a little bit different. But um, in the interview process, I think the some of the things that really, really made you stand out incredibly were well, clearly you have a ton of confidence, um, and that probably is because of your experience, and especially being in the courtroom in the criminal setting. I mean, that's that's kind of a throw in the you know you just throw in the fire kind of a thing. Uh, the other thing about you that I think real people really were impressed with was the fact that you had done your homework. I mean, you knew who everybody was. You had read the articles. I th- you said something to me, and I can't remember what it was, but something about an article I'd written. I was like, oh, well, now, how about that? It, it just really, it highlighted that you were interested, not just in moving, changing firms. Actually, you were interested in us. Yeah, she she did. She t- she listened to all of our podcast and all that stuff. And no, she yeah, put she, up with she me really interviewing did. her from the car on the way to drop my dog off Were at you the rude? dog knowledge. Were you rude? No, I no. wasn't rude. I was. I can't even remember how I got into that emergency, but it was an emergency. So the first interview she had was with me by Zoom because we're still in COVID land. Um, and in the car on the Zoom car, with a dog. Zoom with a dog. <laughs> oh, yeah. okay, that's yeah. hot. And she still came and worked right. to work with oh, us. Oh gosh. <laughs> But doesn't that just highlight, I mean, as female lawyers, you got to do everything, right? right. Like dog sit, everything, whatever is necessary to keep your family going, to keep your life moving forward. We're doing it all. And so I think there's also that real life component. Just do um, the damn thing. To it. Yeah. Which takes us to the issue of diversity in litigation um, and whether or not we have enough diversity, I mean, we clearly do not have enough diversity in the legal profession as a whole. But one of the things we wanted to talk today about today was what can we do to attract more diverse lawyers to the practice of law, and in particular, our area of practice, because we, we're not going to do a good job necessarily of attracting them to the international tax work that my husband does, for example. But for what we do you know, we have a strong interest in making sure that our firm remains diverse and that there's diversity in the legal profession as a whole. So what thoughts do you have, Gwen, on what we can do maybe better to attract more diverse lawyers to the practice of doing trial work? 
Yeah, I mean, I think specifically with respect to medical malpractice, I think it we almost have to just be prepared to do very non-traditional things. You know, I think being willing to present about medical malpractice work. I mean, again, I was a young minority student at A&T, largest HBCU in the country. Um, And (laughs) I was there and I, you know, thought my options were criminal family. I mean, I had very limited understanding of what the options were. And I think more awareness of the options earlier helps people even begin to contemplate if it's something that might align with their own interests. And I think that when they aren't aware of it, they, they they double down on the couple or several things that they are aware of. So I do think we have opportunities to do some non-traditional things in terms of bringing more awareness to other options with respect to litigation. I also think that we have to be willing to, you know, make offers to diverse candidates that are more aggressive than we might make to majority candidates. I think that's what the market demands. Anytime something's scarce, you pay more for it, right? Like we know that. So I think with respect to minority attorneys in the profession, I think all firms have to understand. And I think some are, and some are willing to do Are you trying to get a raise? I mean, listen. <laughs> Is that what you're telling me? I'm just saying. That, but I think that's the. There's other I ways mean, to ask for that. I think, <laughs> but we all know, right? People or product, right? If it's scarce, we pay more for it. And I think that when you want something bad enough, that's what is done. And so I think when we talk about capturing, particularly um, high caliber candidates, we just, you know, I think we have to be willing to be aggressive and do things differently. Um, I also think we have to be willing to train them up. I think that another challenge is that in the current market, particularly with respect to black American attorneys um, who are licensed in our country here, you know, we have about 10% that are African American. And of that, it's four to 5% that are black females. So I think you're talking about such small percentages. Sometimes I think we get comfortable in our own local bars because we might know 10 just thinking about it. But reality and the numbers make it clear, it's not a lot. And so when you realize that statistically, you have to be willing to say, okay, if I'm not able to capture the diverse candidates that are in the pool already, I'm going to go get some and make them come to me. And it requires a lot more because I think that you know, even when I worked at the law school, it was, it's a challenge to get diverse candidates to come to your law school. And there's a bit of a fight over those diverse candidates who have come, who have even entered law school. So what that tells us is that it really, you know, and I think a lot of bars focus on colleges because they know if they can garner more interest at that stage, then we can increase the numbers in law school, then we can increase the numbers in the pool. But I think with respect to law firms, I think going, taking that step back to law schools and really creating the interest and really creating the relationship and really kind of making it clear to those diverse candidates that you'll invest in them and that you'll train them up is probably going to be the way forward to really talk to one else, to find the one else that's impressive to and encourage them, them and that's follow a lot them. of work yeah it is a lot of work and i think it's really the only way forward because i think by the time that they hit the pool and they're attractive everyone knows that and everyone's looking for them and so i think we all know right relationships are always more powerful than just the highest bidder and i think in order to create those relationships it's gonna have to start early and i think that's why i know the north carolina bar association does a lot of work at the college level um mm-hmm. trying to make relationships and try to keep people in the north carolina bar. interested because they know that they want to increase diversity in the North Carolina bar alone. And so they really want 
we're to stay here and, and go to law school and join our bar. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, we have to think about doing things differently and things that might be a challenge or have never been done or that make us uncomfortable. Just be uncomfortable. Be uncomfortable. There you go. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Yeah. Ashley, what's your experience been? We haven't really had a chance to talk to you about kind of, you know, during the course of your career, the types of diverse lawyers that you interacted with, or maybe there weren't wasn't a lot of diversity through the course of your career. We just don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when I was at the prosecutor's office, I think there was, um, a, I mean, in relative space, there was a, some good amount of diversity there. There usually is a little bit more in the criminal setting. Um, I think, you know, as I transitioned into civil, there was less. Um, And so I think that there's such an advantage, you know, our society is diverse. So I think there's such an advantage of having diversity, especially with litigators. You know, we're looking to connect with jurors like that's what we're looking to do. And so jurors like to connect with someone that they feel close to. Um, and so adding that diversity across all spectrums really is helpful. Um, I liked your idea about getting to these law students early. I think, you know, being willing to take the time to go on campus and do a presentation about what you do, right, especially for a ter- um, young law students who yeah. may not really know what their options are, right? So to hear from someone who does medical malpractice or does employment law or does general liability, right, what does that mean? And you do get that opportunity or volunteer hearing to even judge some of the moot court things or judge a trial advocacy trial at a law school that kind of gives you the opportunity to get your foot in the door it kind of keeps you a little bit fresh too which is kind of nice see who else you get to interact with and who you may meet I agree I also would say with respect to your comment about civil litigation I just want to add, Trisha Durr's looking at me again, but I just want to add that in the civil litigation space, you're right about like- We can only be here till one o'clock today. The diversity decrease (laughs) substantially. And I think it's also an opportunity for majority attorneys to talk, you know, with their clients about, you know, their interest in diversifying the firms and the attorneys that work on their matters. I think, you know, some corporations are very- adamant about their panel of attorneys being diverse and some aren't. And I think for the ones that aren't, it's incumbent on the majority lawyers to say, Hey, we need to diversify who we're using and who we're hiring and who we can put on your matters. And we need to recognize that we are fortunate that we, we live in a, in a city that has an, has a level of diversity that we can draw off Mm -hmm. of. I've interacted with other lawyers who do insurance defense litigation principally and the insurers and companies that are hiring them are, are saying exactly what you said. We need diversity. But when you live in a teeny towny, teeny Teeny towny, teeny (laughs) tiny town in West Virginia, there's, there's not going to be a lot of diversity. Yep. And Unless so you recruit like, like they Gwen ha- was talking exactly. about. Exactly. Mm-hmm. They are going to have to go out of their way to find, it. to find it, either by bringing people to live in that little community or by merging with a larger firm yeah. and drawing off of the diversity that the larger office might have in a larger city. 100%. Yeah. All right, Gwen, did you have anything else you'd like to add? No, Trisha. <laughs> I really do like Gwen. She's just fun to give a hard time to. I just to. want y'all to see what I go through every day. What else, Sarah? You Are know, we doing our closing now? I think probably, yeah. There's so. a, there's some other things we could talk about, but we're going to run out of time. So we can just bring these two back on another day. That'll be fun. Absolutely. Yeah. So what, what are the takeaways? So, yeah, I guess... Um, we can each offer a reason why a young lawyer should consider litigation. First of all, it's really fun. 
It's really fun. We work really hard, but the collaboration and the relationships that you develop, not just with your own team when you go into a trial, which is like going to war, but with the clients that you have who are so grateful at the end of the day that someone has stood up for them and voiced for them that they what they did was okay and and that they, you know, did their best and to have a jury come back and tell them that they were they were not wrong in the approach that they took in whatever the setting was is just unbelievable. Um, we get all sorts of amazing gifts and cards and letters from our clients after a case is over that just makes you just feel warm and fuzzy afterwards. Didn't, didn't, didn't you throw up when we got that verdict one time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> she did. She threw did. up. She ran from the I courtroom did. and she threw up. I couldn't. But not it. because it was bad. It no, because no, it was good. It was and great. No, yeah. You, I, I echo what Sarah said. There is something incredibly rewarding that I can't even describe. Don't you think so? Yeah, I agree. That when the jury comes back, especially after a brutally long, difficult, contentious trial and says, you're right, man, there is something there that that is something you cannot get any other way. That feeling is amazing. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's the most exhilarating. It's so stressful and so anxiety producing when you're waiting for the jury to come back and Oh, the, the jury won't, they've got a verdict. It's like, oh, you know, but you know, it, it is, it is incredibly rewarding. It's an adrenaline rush. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think I'd go with the, you know, it's the chance to be an adult who plays a team sport again. And I think it's like to Sarah's point, it's so much fun. And I think it sharpens the skills that we've all gained as attorneys. You Make know, sure you want to keep your skills sharp. You want to have fun. And I think if you've ever been a competitor on a team in a team setting, that's what litigation allows is for you to be that grown up on the playground again. And I think it's so much fun. Yeah, I think litigation for me lets me go into, you know, I'm so nervous beforehand. If you're not nervous before you go into a trial, something's wrong. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think you're so nervous. And then I feel like once it starts, it you're so you work so hard to prepare and but once you're there it's almost like you go into a different world yeah. right you're in a different it's head consuming. space it's all consuming you literally can't think about anything else and you're right when you're sitting there and they say you've got a verdict and you come and you're oh. sitting there and you know your stomach is in knots and you know if when you get that verdict that you know is just you know it's right the justice system has worked and you that first breath afterwards that it's just the deepest breath that you'll take probably until you take another, do another trial and you sit there that release that, you know, like we got it right. And they got it right. They heard us. Yeah. It's nothing. Yeah. 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 Nothing like it. So the verdict is, is um, Trish is guilty of interrupting people too much today. Um, I, I, Thank you, but, Sarah. But, but, Thank you so much. Listen, if, if you have a podcast about Gwen, you, you have got me. to say Thank something you. or Gwen would hijack the entire <laughs> thing. So Ashley would never much. get to talk. This is how they treat their guests. <laughs> Only <laughs> Trish. <laughs> Who said you were a guest? I'm such a guest. See, she already made me not a guest. And I'm, this is my first time as a guest. Uh. Oh God! Any other verdicts? I mean, uh, am I supposed to say something you're guilty of? You can if you want you did, to. Go you ahead. did. You didn't ask any questions. I had to ask them all myself. <laughs> oh, see there. I'll, I'll Boom. Then you, Sarah. Time. You did ask questions. I thought I, I did. Heard you. I remember. I you. You're, supposed to, you're supposed to say what you're guilty of, not what other people are guilty of. Hello. Uh-uh. So, what are you guilty of, Ashley? Um, <laughs> She's I like think nothing. I, no. <laughs> I'm innocent. I, I didn't do anything. No, I think sometimes I can be guilty of of almost caring too much 
right? Like it becomes all consuming. Um, and I think that that caring can, it, it can interrupt life sometimes, right? It definitely and so, can. <laughs> and so I think that is something that I can be guilty of. It, it can interrupt everything else going on, which is a good thing when I'm in the middle of trial and it makes me focused. It makes me do the best that I can at my job. It makes me feel good at the end of that trial, right? When it's sitting with the jury, I did everything I could. But I think that that's why you have that big deep breath afterwards because you we just all care have so that much. a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right. Well, thank you, ladies, thank for you. Um, being with us today. And thanks to everybody who's listening. Please tune in next time and rate us, subscribe, download all those good things wherever you find your podcasts. I was going to say something, but it would be interrupting somebody, so I'm not going to say anything. Ha <laughs> ha!